I want to jump right into the word tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 to 7, reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want to preach to you with this title tonight, On the Shoulders of Giants. On the Shoulders of Giants. Would you pray with me that the word would have full effect tonight? Lord Jesus, God, I thank you for your spirit that we have felt from the opening song tonight. And God, my heart and my prayer is that you would just have your way in this place. God, I pray that as this seed of the word goes forth, that it would not return void. God, I claim that promise in your word. I pray that every heart, Lord, every mind and every spirit will be open to receive what you have for us tonight, oh Jesus. God, I pray that you would lead and direct every word that is spoken. God, we just ask that your perfect will would be accomplished in this house tonight. I feel it in the room. Why don't you just lift up your voice a little bit more? It's been here all day. We love you, Jesus. This is the reason we came tonight. God, we came to glorify your name. God, we came to lift up your name. God, we came to entertain your presence. God, we came so that you would reveal yourself to us. God, we thank you for the anointing that we feel in this room tonight, Jesus. God, have your way. God, I pray that you would continue. That's the word that I feel. I pray that you would continue the work that you've been doing all day. God, I pray that you would continue the work that you've been doing for weeks. God, I pray that you would stir the heart of your people through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. On the shoulders of giants, in the letter to Robert Hooke in 1675, Sir Isaac Newton, the renowned English physicist and mathematician from the 17th century made his most famous statement. He said this, he said, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. If I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. This statement, is now often used to symbolize scientific progress in our world. Robert Merton examined the origin of this metaphor in his book 
on the shoulders of giants in 1965. The shoulders of giants metaphor can be traced all the way back to a 12th century French philosopher who said that we are like dwarves on the shoulders of giants so that we can see more than they and things at a greater distance, not by virtue of any sharpness of sight on our part or any physical distinction, but, but because we are carried high and raised up by their giant size. Theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking carried on this theme in writing On the Shoulders of Giants, his own book in 2002. And in his book, Stephen Hawking brings together the greatest works of Copernicus, Galileo, Kepler, Newton, and Einstein, showing how their pioneering discoveries changed the way that we see the world today. From Copernicus' revolutionary claim that the Earth orbits the sun and Kepler's development of the laws of planetary motion to Einstein's interweaving of time and space, each subject I cannot take you through tonight. Each scientist built on the theories of their predecessors to answer the questions that had long mystified humanity. They built on the theories of their predecessors to answer the questions that had long mystified humanity. There's a reason that when you go to school and you begin to learn math at whatever age uh, that is, that they don't start you right off with some Pythagorean theorem. Disgusting is right. <laughs> I couldn't even describe it to you tonight, but I just remember that it was really boring and I've never used it since. But when you start learning math, you start with adding and subtracting, then multiplying and dividing, and then there is fractions, whole numbers, integers, Pythagorean theorem, angles, pi, hypotenuse, sine, tangent, cosine, and a bunch of other stuff that you will never use once you graduate. But if we can't learn the basics of math, adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing, we can't graduate to higher learning and greater things in the subject of math. And so the same way that we need to start at the basics and work our way up, we have been given a firm foundation in the apostolic church to stand on. Can I tell you tonight that we stand on the shoulders of giants? Not giants of physical stature, but spiritual stature. We stand on the shoulders of the generations that came before us. We stand on the shoulders of the elders that built this church. We stand on the shoulders of the saints who had all night prayer meetings. We stand on the shoulders of the pastors who have led this church in every season. We're beyond blessed with a rich heritage. We've been given a firm foundation to build on. And just as physicists and mathematicians build on the work of their predecessors, we build on that foundation that has been given to us. We build on that foundation that was given. What is that firm foundation? Can I declare a couple things tonight? We still believe that there is only one God and his name in Jesus. That's a good foundation to get your footing on tonight. We still believe in the power of the cross in the blood of Jesus. We still believe in God's plan of salvation that he laid out through the scriptures and into the book of Acts. We still believe 
in repentance. If you haven't figured it out yet, we believe in baptism in Jesus' name. We still believe in the gift of the Holy Ghost through the evidence of speaking in other tongues. We still believe in holiness, and we still believe that we are going to see miracles, signs, and wonders. And we still believe that God has a church that he is raising up in this last day. We stand on the shoulders of giants that handed down and fought for these truths from generation to generation. Paul, he speaks to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, and this is what he says. He says, Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. The New Living says it like this in verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Don't neglect what was given to you from one generation to the next. Take hold of that thing. He goes on to verse 15. He says, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. And finally in verse 16 he says this. Take heed unto thyself. And unto the doctrine. Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. This truth that we have been given, these principles in the word that we have been taught, that have been handed down from generation to generation from our elders, they have always been meant to be continued. We must continue to build on the foundation and the legacy of those who fought for this faith before us. And if you look into modern Christendom today, this is contrary to the climate and culture of Christendom. Because there's a movement today that finds its identity in deconstructing Christianity. Or maybe going even further, they say deconstructing faith. There have been thousands of books published and thousands of podcasts produced on this subject over the last two or three years. But rather than building on to what they've been raised in and what they've been taught, they focus on tearing down. They begin to reevaluate and begin to dismantle what they once held as truth. Deeply held doctrines become examined and scrutinized, sometimes abandoned and discarded in favor of more progressive and culturally relevant ideas. What were once guardrails in their lives now become stumbling blocks to them, only to be tossed aside to allow for a less restrictive lifestyle. And what once started as deconstruction and questioning that led to times of counseling and study quick, quickly transforms from deconstruction to full-out demolition of what they believe. Where nothing is sacred and doctrines are no longer important, their faith is demolished. But can I tell you tonight in a world that doesn't believe in absolutes, that there are still some absolutes that we believe as the apostolic church? Amen. 
there's still some things that are not negotiable. And this deconstructing of Christianity and their faith has been on the works, and this spirit is moving through my generation and the generation of those beneath me. And so the question has to be asked, the line between deconstruction and demolition of your faith, where is it? It becomes a little bit blurry. Sometimes you just don't know what you're getting into. If you've ever maybe done a renovation project on your house, this is a great example. Maybe you decided that uh, you know, a, little, a little crack filling and a little painting would, would maybe spruce up the room, be beneficial. And then you, you kind of start looking around and you see some sheetrock and you go, you know, maybe I'm just going to replace, I'm going to replace that one. I'm going to replace that one. And so you pull that piece of sheetrock off the wall and, and maybe there's some electrical there. Maybe there's some plumbing there that just doesn't look right. Maybe it's outdated. Might, maybe it needs updated. Maybe there's some insulation that's missing. Vapor barrier has a little bit of a tear in it, whatever it looks like. And maybe at one point, maybe a little water got in, and so now you're looking at the studs and the two-by-four, and you go, you know what? I'm just going to take it all out. I've been there. Anybody else been there before? Where one thing leads to another, to another, to another, and then all of a sudden your wife comes home and what's supposed to be a quick crack fill and paint job results in a full gutting in the basement, and nobody is happy. I feel a witness in the spirit tonight. If not for you, for myself. But where do you draw the line? Because the line becomes a little bit blurry when you talk about deconstructing. Where do you find that fine line? I can tell you where. You can deconstruct Christianity all that you want. You can tear it right down to the studs and concrete floor. You can tear it right down to the foundation. You can go ahead and analyze and scrutinize what you brought up in and, and study and research for yourself. And I can tell you what you're going to find. You're going to find that Jesus Christ is there. You're going to find that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You're still going to find that there's one God and his name is Jesus. I already said it, but you're still going to find that the power of the cross is in there, that the blood of Jesus still heals. You're still going to find the Holy Ghost being poured out in the book of Acts. You'll find repentance, baptism, infilling of the Holy Spirit. You'll find miracles, signs, and wonders. And if the result is anything else, you didn't deconstruct your faith. You demolished it. You didn't deconstruct your faith. You demolished it. You went too far. In, a face, in the face of a culture that wants to deconstruct I choose to build on the foundation that we have been given. I don't want to deconstruct. I don't think there's anything wrong with looking around and wondering if we can do things a little bit better. But I don't want to deconstruct what we've been brought up in. I choose to continue. We choose to continue tonight. We stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand on the shoulders of giants. And so when we go back and look at the life of David, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, I already read it, but we'll go back and read it again. The Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge 
by the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God speaks to Samuel, and he makes it very clear. Samuel, he might not look like it to you, but he is a giant to me. Samuel, David might look young and weak, but he is strong and mighty. And so we know the story. David goes out to face Goliath. To everyone else, it's what the Bible describes as a young man versus one who has been a man of war from his youth. But in the eyes of God, it was giant versus giant. And as we read, David, he prevails over Goliath. He stands on him, and he draws Goliath's sword and severs his head. The significance of this moment in the history of Israel cannot be understated. But this wasn't just about slaying one giant. This wasn't just about the one giant that David faced, because David led men of Israel to slay many giants after this time. Because of what David had done, he had given boldness and confidence to others to be able to do greater than he did. We can read about it in 1 Chronicles chapter, four, verse, uh, chapter 20, verses 4 to 8 in the New Living. It says this, After this, war broke out with the Philistines at Gezer, and they fought Sibekai from Husha, uh, uh, from Husha killed Sapha, descendant of the giants, and so the Philistines were subdued. During another battle with the Philistines, Elhanan, the son of Jer, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of Lami's spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and, and six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother, Shimea. These Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. It wasn't just David killing Goliath, but what he did in the nation of Israel that day set a precedent for everyone else to see in that moment and learn through their history. But it wasn't just the courage for giant killing that David passed down. It wasn't just the image of their, their future king toppling Goliath. Near the end of his days, David began the preparation to hand Solomon the baton. To hand over the keys of the kingdom of Israel David had led, many, had, had led Israel through many battles, but now it was time for the next season in Israel's history. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. And I'm not going to be a long time tonight. We can come back to the music. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, and the New Living says this. Then David said, this will be the location for the temple of the Lord God in the place of the altar for Israel's burnt offerings. So David gave orders to call together the foreigners living in Israel, and he assigned them the task of preparing finished stone for the building of the temple of God. David provided large amounts of iron for the nails that would be needed for the doors in the gates and for the clamps, and he gave more bronze than, he, than could be weighed. He also 
provided innumerable cedar logs. For the men of Tyre and Sidon had brought vast amounts of cedar to David. And David says, my son Solomon is still young and he's inexperienced. And since the temple to be built for the Lord God must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, I will begin making preparations for it now. So David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. Then David sent for his son Solomon, and he instructed him to build a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. My son, he said, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. But the Lord said to me, you have killed many men in the battles you have fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. I will give him peace with his enemies in all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his direction in building the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of your Lord, of the Lord your God, as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and the regulations that the Lord God gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Or lose heart. The final few verses. He said, I have worked hard to provide materials for building the temple of the Lord. I've brought nearly 4,000 tons of gold, 40,000 tons of silver, and so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. I have also gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may still need to add more. You have a large number of skilled stonemasons and carpenters and craftsmen of every kind. You have expert goldsmiths and silversmiths and workers of bronze and iron. Now begin the work and may the Lord be with you. Solomon, there's something I've been wanting to build. I've got the, just the right spot. I've got just the right plans. I've gathered the materials. I've got everything ready for you to take this and run with it, for you to build this temple. But the Lord has said that I can't do it. And so Solomon, what I have worked so hard to do, I've gone to war. We fought many battles, but now you are going to enter into being king at a time of peace. Solomon, I fought so you didn't have to. 
I gathered resources so that you wouldn't have to. I found the location so that you wouldn't have to. Solomon, I've got the blueprints. I know exactly how we're going to do it. But now, Solomon, it's your turn. Solomon, I fought many battles and I faced many giants. And I've seen many trials and many tribulations. But I want you to know that it is your turn. Solomon, please stand on my shoulders. Let me just be the floor that you can stand on to reach higher and go further than what I was able to. For this is what God wants, Solomon. I've gone ahead and made the preparations. I fought the fights that you don't have to fight anymore. I've laid the foundation so that you didn't have to, but now it's your turn. Stand with me tonight. It is our, our duty, and what I would even say is our obligation as the apostolic church in this day and in this generation. And when I say generation, I'm not just referring to an age bracket, but I'm referring to the generation that is alive today. To build upon the foundation that has been laid before us. To continue the work that was started right here in this church. Not to deconstruct, not to tear down, but to build on what has been placed before us. David was a giant. We think that he just killed a giant, but really he was the giant in that battle. And what he did propelled the nation of Israel and his own kin to rule forever in peace and to continue the work that he had started. All I can picture in my mind is, is, is the Olympics. The Olympics are going on right now. I hear the, the women's soccer team won gold. Woo! It's exciting, I guess. But you think of that, that Olympic torch. And I did some research on the Olympic torch, and some would rumor that that, that fire has never gone out. And, and that is not true. It actually has many times. But they light that fire every year, and they carry it from its origin to the destination of the Olympics. And that flame and that fire is so valuable to them that they'll take a spare. And if it's raining and somebody's running in the rain, they'll have a car with some sort of, of fire, live fire in it that they're feeding oxygen, but it's not going to light the car on fire. They do everything that they can to make sure that the fire doesn't go out on its journey until it gets to its final destination. Can I tell you tonight, it's a pretty simple parallel for me to make, but there's been a fire since the early church. And it is our duty and our obligation to carry that fire from generation to generation to generation. In a world that is so dark, in a world that is so confused, we need to make sure that that fire is still burning. We need to make sure that that gets passed down through every age group, from the youngest to the oldest. Would you lift your hands with me tonight? Lord Jesus, God, I thank you for the power of your word tonight. And God, I just pray in this moment God, that you would bring a conviction into the room. God, I pray that that fire would never go out. God, what was started here 
many years ago, God, that it would continue for generations to come. God, that apostolic truth would not stop in this generation. God, that absolutes would not stop in this generation. But God, that we would stand on the shoulders of the giants that have come before us to reach further into new heights of the spirit that you have for us. I worship you, Jesus. Just let that stir up in your spirit a little bit. Hallelujah, Jesus. Rebaka raboso ramanda raboko soto rabaka. Rebaka ramando raboso to rabakaya to rabaka sata. Lemanda raboko rabaso to rabaka sataya. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I'm going to open up this altar tonight. If you feel that, that conviction or that desire in the room to continue in this precious faith, to continue in the truth that has been handed down to us, would you step forward tonight? And we're just going to pray together as a church family. Lord Jesus, we love you. We worship you, Jesus. I lift up your name, Jesus. I lift up your name, Jesus. Lord, we stand on the shoulders of our elders that wept in these very same altars. Lord, we stand on the shoulders of the elders that had service in this sanctuary for years before we were ever here. God, I pray that that obligation to continue, God, to keep on pushing, God, to keep on with the truth, to keep on and push on with the doctrine, to proclaim no other message that you have. God, I pray that would rest in our hearts and our souls and our spirits tonight. Amen. Would you lift your voice? Reba karabo soto We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus.